Chapter Thirty Nine of the First Violin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The First Violin by Jessie Fothergill. Chapter Thirty Nine. Where is my father? We had been bidden to dine at the Schloss, Frau Mittendorf, Stella, and I. In due time, the doctor's new carriage was called out, and seated in it, we were driven to the great castle. With a renewed joy and awe, I looked at it by twilight with the dusk of sunset veiling its woods and turning the whole mass to the colour of a deep earth-stain eugen's home there he had been born as the child of such a race and in its traditions he had been nurtured by that sad lady whom we were going to see i at least knew that he had acted and was now acting up to the very standard of his high calling the place has lost much of its awfulness for me it had become even friendly and lovely the dinner was necessarily a solemn one i was looking out for sigmund who however did not put in an appearance after dinner when we were all assembled in a vast salon which the numberless wax lights did but partially and in the centre illuminate i determined to make an effort at release from this seclusion and asked the countess who had motioned to me to a seat beside her where sigmund was he seemed a little languid and not inclined to come downstairs said she i expect he is in the music-room he generally finds his way there oh i wish you would allow me to go and see him certainly my child said she ringing and presently a servant guided me to the door of the music-rooms and in answer to my knock i was bidden herein i entered the room was in shadow but a deep glowing fire burned in a great cavernous stone fireplace and shone upon huge brass and irons on either side of the hearth in an easy-chair sat brunken the old librarian and his white hair and beard were also warmed into rosiness by the fire-glow at his feet lay sigmund who had apparently been listening to some story of his old friend his hands were clasped about the old man's knee his face upturned his hair pushed back both turned as i came in and sigmund sprang up but ere he had advanced two paces paused and stood still as if overcome with languor or weariness sigmund i have come to see you said i coming to the fire and greeting the old man who welcomed me hospitably i took sigmund's hand it was hot and dry i kissed him lips and cheeks were burning and glowing crimson i swept the hair from his brow that too was burning and his temples throbbed his eyes met mine with a strange misty look saying nothing i seated myself in a low chair near the fire and drew him to me he nestled up to me and i felt that if eugen could see us he would be almost satisfied sigmund did not say anything he merely settled his head upon my breast gave a deep sigh of relief and closing his eyes said now punkin go on as i was saying mein liebling i hope to prove all former theorists and writers upon the subject to have been wrong he's talking about a magrepha said sigmund still not opening his eyes a magrepha what may that be i inquired yes some people say it was a real full-blown organ 
explained sigmund in a thick hesitating voice and some say it was nothing better than a bagpipe or dear how my head does ache and there are people who say it was a kettle drum nothing more nor less and bronken is going to show that not one of them knew anything about it i hope so at least said bronken with a modest placidity oh indeed said i glancing a little timidly into the far recesses of the deep ghostly room where the firelight kept catching the sheen of metal the yellow whiteness of ivory keys or pipes or the polished case of some string instrument strange grotesque shapes looked out in the uncertain flickering light but was it not a strange and haunted chamber ever it seemed to me as if breaths of air blew through it which came from all imaginable kinds of graves and were the breaths of those departed ones who had handled the strange collection and who wished to finger or blow into or beat the dumb unvibrating things once more did i say unvibrating i was wrong then the strings sometimes quivered to sounds that set them trembling something like a whispered tone i have heard from the deep upturned throats of the great brazen trumpets something like a distant moan floating around the gilded organ-pipes in after days when friedhelm helfen knew this room he made a wonderful fantasia about it in which all the dumb instruments woke up or tried to wake up to life again for the whole place impressed him he told me as nothing that he had ever known bronken went on in a dry droning tone giving theories of his own as to the nature of the macrafa and i with my arms round sigmund half listening to the sleepy monotone of the good old visionary but what spoke to me with a more potent voice was the soughing and wuthering of the sorrowful wind without which verily moaned around the old walls and sought out the old corners and wailed and plained and sobbed in a way that was enough to break one's heart by degrees a silence settled upon us bronken having satisfactorily annihilated his enemies ceased to speak the fire burned lower sigmund's eyes were closed his cheeks were not less flushed than before nor his brow less hot and a frown contracted it i know not how long a time had passed but i had no wish to rise the door was opened and some one came into the room i looked up it was the greffin pronken rose and stood to one side bowing i could not get up but some movement of mine perhaps disturbed the heavy and feverish slumber of the child he started wide awake with a look of wild terror and gazed down into the darkness crying out my father where art thou a strange startled frightened look crossed the face of the countess when she heard the words she did not speak and i said some soothing words to sigmund but there could be no doubt that he was very ill it was quite unlike his usual silent courage and reticence to wring his small hands and with ever-increasing terror turn a deaf ear to my soothings sobbing out in tones of pain and insistence father father where art thou i want thee then he began to cry pitifully and the only word that was heard was father it was like some recurrent wail in a piece of music 
which warns one all through of a coming tragedy oh dear what is to be done sigmund was ist denn mit dir mein engel said the poor countess greatly distressed he is ill said i i think he has taken an illness does thy head ache sigmund yes said he it does where is my own father my head never ached when i was with my father mein gott mein gott said the countess in a low tone i thought he had forgotten his father forgotten echoed i frau gräfin he is one of yourselves you have not seemed to forget Herr gott she exclaimed wringing her hands what can be the matter with him what must i say to bruno sigmund darling what hast thou then what ails thee i want my father he repeated nor would he utter any other word the one idea long dormant had now taken full possession of him in fever half delirious out of the fullness of his heart his mouth spake sigmund liebken said the countess control thyself thy uncle must not hear thee say that word i don't want my uncle i want my father said sigmund looking restlessly round oh where is he i have not seen him it is so long and i want him i love him i do love my father i want him it was pitiful pathetic somewhat tragic too the poor countess had not the faintest idea what to do with the boy whose illness frightened her i suggested that he should be put to bed and the doctor sent for as he had probably taken some complaint which would declare itself in a few days and might be merely some childish disorder the countess seized my suggestion eagerly sigmund was taken away i saw him no more that night presently we left the schloss and drove home i found a letter waiting for me from eugen he was still at elbertol and appeared to have been reproaching himself for having accepted my sacrifice as he called it he spoke of sigmund there was more too in the letter which made me both glad and sad i felt life spreading before me ending with a gravity a largeness of aim and a dignity of purpose such as i had never dreamt of before it seemed that for me too there was work to do i also had a love for whose sake to endure this made me feel grave eugen's low spirits and the increased bitterness with which he spoke of things made me sad but something else made me glad throughout his whole letter there breathed a passion a warmth restrained but glowing through its bond of reticent words an eagerness which he told me that at last as i loved loved am i even after that sail down the river i had felt a half mistrust now all doubts were removed he loved me he had learned it in all its truth and breadth since we last parted he talked of renunciation but it was with an anguish so keen as to make me wince for him who felt it if he renounced me now it would not be the cold laying aside of a thing for which he did not care it would be the wrenching himself away from his heart's desire i triumphed in the knowledge and this was what made me glad almost before we had finished breakfast in the morning 
there came a thundering of wheels up to the door and a shriek of excitement from frau middendorf who morgenhalber on her head a shapeless old morning-gown clinging hideously about her ample figure rushed to the window looked out and announced the carriage of the frau gräfin aber what can she want at this early hour she speculated coming into the room again and staring at us both with wide open eyes round with agitation and importance but i dare say she wishes to consult me upon some matter i wish i were dressed more becomingly i have heard that is i know for i am so intimate with her that she never wears negligee i wonder if i should have time to she stopped to hold out her hand for the note which a servant was bringing in but her face fell when the missive was presented to me liebe me it began will you come and help me in my trouble segment is very ill sometimes he is delirious he calls for you often it breaks my heart to find that after all not a word is uttered of us but only of eugen burn this when you have read it of you and of karl and friedhelm and one or two other names which i do not know i fear this petition will sound troublesome to you you were certainly not made for trouble but you are kind i saw it in your face i grieve too much truly the flesh is fearfully weak i would live as if earth had no joys for me as indeed it has none and yet that does not prevent my suffering may god help me trusting to you your hildegarde v rotenfels i lost no time in complying with this summons in a few moments i was in the carriage ere long i was at the schloss was met by countess hildegarde looking like a ghost that had been keeping a strict lent and was at last by sigmund's bedside he was tossing feverishly from side to side murmuring and muttering but when he saw me he was still a sweet frank smile flitted over his face a smile wonderfully like that which his father had lately bent upon me he gave a little laugh saying while i may welcome have you brought my father and i should like to see friedhelm too you and dear father and friedhelm used to sit near together at the concert don't you remember i went once and you sung that whole black man beat time and my father never stopped looking at you and listening friedhelm too i will ask them if they remember he laughed again at the reminiscence and took my hand and asked me if i remembered so that it was with difficulty that i steadied my voice and kept my eyes from running over as i answered him Gräfin hildegarde behind wrung her hands and turned to the window he did not advance any reminiscence of what had happened since he came to the schloss there was no doubt that our sigmund was very ill a visitation of scarlet fever of the worst kind was raging in Lahnburg and in the hamlet of rotenfels which lay about the gates of the schloss sigmund some ten days before had ridden with his uncle and waited on his pony for some time outside a row of cottages while the count visited one of his old servants 
a man who had become an octogenarian in the service of his family and upon whom graf bruno periodically showed the light of his countenance it was scarcely to be doubted that the boy had taken the infection then and there and the doctor did not conceal that he had the complaint in its worst form and that his recovery admitted of the gravest doubts a short time convinced me that i must not again leave the child till the illness was decided in one way or another he was mine now and i felt myself in the place of eugen as i stood beside his bed and told him the hard truth that his father was not here nor friedhelm nor karl for whom he also asked but only i the day passed on a certain conviction was growing every hour stronger with me an incident at last decided it i had scarcely left sigmund's side for eight or nine hours but i had seen nothing of the count nor heard his voice nor had any mention been made of him and remembering how he adored the boy i was surprised at last gräfin hildegarde after a brief absence came into the room and with a white face and parted lips said to me in a half whisper lieber miss wedderburn will you do something for me will you speak to my husband to your husband i ejaculated she bowed he longs to see sigmund but he dare not come for me i have hardly dared to go near him since the little one began to be ill he believes that sigmund will die and that he will be his murderer having taken him out that day i have often spoken to him about making their armour ride too far and now the sight of me reminds him of it he cannot endure to look at me heaven help me why was i ever born she turned away without tears tears were not in her line and i went much against my will to find the graf he was in his study was that the same man i wondered whom i had seen the very day before so strong and full of pride and life he raised a haggard white and ghastly face to me which had aged and fallen in unspeakably he made an effort and rose with politeness as i came in mein fräulein you are loading us with obligations it is unheard of but no thanks were implied in the tone only bitterness he was angry that i should be in the place he dared not come to if i had not been raised by one supreme fear above all smaller ones i should have been afraid of this haggard eager-looking old man for he did look very old in his anguish i could see the rage of jealousy with which he regarded me and i am not naturally fond of encountering an old wolf who has starved but i used my utmost effort to prevail upon him to visit his nephew and at last succeeded i piloted him to sigmund's room led him to the boy's bedside the sick child's eyes were closed but he presently opened them the uncle was stooping over him his rugged face all working with emotion and his voice broken as he murmured ah my liebling art thou then so ill with a kind of shuddering cry the boy pushed him away with both hands crying go away i want my father my father i say where is he why do you not fetch him you are a bad man and you hate him then i was frightened the count recoiled 
his face turned deathly white livid his fists clenched he glared down upon the now unrecognizing young face and stuttered forth something paused then said in a low distinct voice which shook me from head to foot so better that he should die the brood is worthy the nest it sprung from where is our blood that he whines after that hound that hound with which and with a fell look round he departed leaving sigmund oblivious of all that had passed utterly indifferent and unconscious and me shivering with fear at the outburst i had seen but it seemed to me that my charge was worse i left him for a few moments and seeking out the countess spoke my mind frau gräfin eugen must be sent for i fear that sigmund is going to die and i dare not let him die without sending for his father i dare not said the countess she had met her husband and was flung unnerved upon a couch her hand over her heart but i dare and i must do it said i secretly wondering at myself i shall telegraph for him if my husband knew she breathed i cannot help it said i is the poor child to die among people who profess to love him with the one wish ungratified which he has been repeating ever since he began to be ill i do not understand such love i call it horrible inhumanity but i can enter this house again said she in a whisper i would to god that there were any other head as noble under its roof was my magniloquent and thoroughly earnest inspiration well nedigefrau will you arrange this matter or shall i i dare not she moaned half distractedly i dare not but i will do nothing to prevent you use the whole household they are at your command i lost not an instant in writing out a telegram and dispatching by a man on horseback to Lahnburg. i summoned eugen briefly sigmund is ill i am here come to us i saw the man depart and then i went and told the countess what i had done she turned if possible a shade paler then said i am not responsible for it then i left the poor pale lady to still her beating heart and kill her deadly apprehensions in the embroidery of the lily of the field and the modest violet no change in the child's condition a lethargy had fallen upon him that awful stupor with the dark flushed cheek and heavy breath was to me more ominous than the restlessness of fever i sat down and calculated my telegram might be in eugen's hand in the course of an hour when could he be here was it possible that he might arrive this night i obtained the german equivalent for bradshaw and studied it till i thought i had made out that supposing eugen to receive the telegram in the shortest possible time he might be here by half-past eleven that night it was now five in the afternoon six hours and a half and at the end of that time his non-arrival might tell me he could not be here before the morrow i sat still and now that the deed was done gave myself up with my usual enlightenment and discretion to fears and apprehensions the terrible look and tone of graf von rothenfels 
returned to my mind in full force clearly it was just the most dangerous thing in the world for eugen to do to put in an appearance at the present time but another glance at sigmund somewhat reassured me in wondering whether the girl had ever before been placed in such a bizarre situation as mine darkness overtook me sigmund moved restlessly and moaned stretching out little hot hands and saying father i caught those hands to my lips and knew that i had done right End of chapter thirty nine